Colossians chapter 1, please. Trust you had a good afternoon. Back at it this evening uh, in Colossians chapter 1. Maybe you had uh, went home and had some supreme pizza. As we talk about Christ being supreme. He is preeminent. Christ is everything. Uh, we talked about this morning from the Christ hymn, verses 15 through 20, how Christ rules his creation. And the second part of that is Christ rules his new creation. He rules. He reigns. His creation and his new creation. He is the firstborn of all creation, as in rank and superiority. He also is the head of the body, the church. He is the head. Um, without getting too much into that, the, the end of the hymn, uh, we didn't get a chance to uh, touch on too much, so I want to pick up there. At the end of the hymn, look at verse 20. And, though, and through him, well, verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So that term, all things, that's the sixth time that term, all things, has been used in this text. Uh, in the ESV, it translates at one time, everything. But all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So he's saying that all things are reconciled through Christ, through him, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Well, are all things reconciled right now? Are they? We, we, we look around and we say, well, no, not all things are reconciled yet, but things are being reconciled. Um, in the end, God will establish a universal peace through the blood of the cross. Christ has already begun making peace, but will one day establish that peace universally. There will be full peace, and there already is peace. Um, one author says this, the grim reference to Christ's blood and cross. Do, 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 do we, do we uh, recognize the gruesome picture that's there? Making peace by the blood of the cross. Do we have any concept of what is happening here with those words? The blood of the cross. Um, we can uh, treat the cross sometimes and think of it only as a decorative piece and not as an instrument of torture. It's what it was. So one author says, as, as I was saying, the grim reference to Christ's blood and cross brings us down from the lofty heights of preeminence, supremacy, and fullness to the depths of human pain and suffering of the worst kind. And I'm not just talking about 
physically. But he faced the wrath of God. Think about that. The blood of the cross. The blood is in reference to his death by violence. And the cross is in reference to his death by humility or shame. The blood of the cross. We let that sink in a little bit. And think hard on that. That Christ died on the cross. His blood was shed on the cross. That's why we celebrate through the cup every communion service that we have. So... With that being said, there's, there's an assumption here that something was not at peace, right? And that's easy for us to do. We, we can look around and say, yeah, the world is not at peace right now. There's an assumption he's making that there's not at peace. God, Christ, God, through Christ, is reconciling all things to himself, whether in heaven and on earth, or, or, on, or in heaven or on earth, uh, making peace by the blood. So what is not at peace? There's an assumption that, on that. It, well, it's, it's the world around us, Right? True, it is the world around us. This Things seem chaotic and sinful and difficult. But look at what Paul says in the next section. It's not just that. It's you. It's me. He says, and you. Look at verse 20. 21, sorry. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he now has reconciled in his body of flesh... By his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So, here is the Christ hymn applied. Here's what it looks like here. This is the application of the Christ hymn. So there's a, a shift here in, um, in genre. It goes from the hymn and the kind of impersonal third person to the direct address. You. But you. And you who were once alienated. See how, see how that's happening? There's a third person and now he's talking in second person. You. And he has this structure here, which is uh, one of what author says, one of Paul's favorite kinds of structures. This once, but now. Okay? Once you were this, but now this. Once this, now this. He adds on to that a little bit here. So you can kind of think of it in past and present. Okay? Once this, past, but now, present. Then he adds this word, if, future. Okay. Do we see that? Do you see that uh, structure there? Can you hone in on that with me in verse 21? You who once were alienated. Verse 22, he has now reconciled. Verse 23, if indeed you continue. So I'm thankful for the people, whoever they were, that separated the verses like that very nicely. We appreciate that. So that's the structure. So let's, let's work through that structure together. So he's saying once we were alienated. Once you who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Alienated. That means we were far from God. Far from God. 
the three chapters into this book. Three chapters into the Bible. There's two people living and mankind decides to rebel against God. Mankind falls. And therefore, there is separation. Before that, God creates everything in unity. Mankind is unified together to become one. Man and God are unified. Man and creation are unified. But then the fall happens and there's a separation. And which is demonstrated in uh, their original nakedness and then wanting to clothe themselves and then trying to hide from God, which is a little bit um, funny to me. It's like God just created you and you're trying to hide from him. But it's this idea of wanting to be separated. They, they automatically sense that separation from God. They wanted to be separate because of the shame. That's us. Naturally, that's us. Far from God. Alienated from God. But not only that, we were hostile in mind. It's like he takes it up a notch. We're alienated from God, but we're also hostile toward God in mind. We're anti-God. So all humans are naturally anti-God kind of people. Our kids, naturally anti-God. Neighbors, false religions, and me. Naturally, left to ourselves, we are anti-God kind of people. And we see that, don't we? We see that um, pretty early on in our kids. And some, usually it's expressed in um, the positive of all of being about myself. All about myself. That's how kids communicate at the very beginning. In case you're wondering, they let you know that it's all about me and you're going to feed me when I say feed me or I'm going to let you know about it at two, at two in the morning. Change me and all these kinds of things. Not that that's happening right now at all with my kids. They came out great. <laughs> Not at all. Um, hey, kids, they're in the parlor, so hey, kids. <laughs> I love you. All right. Um, hostile in my... All humans are naturally anti-God. Um, Enemies of God, haters of God. Not for God, but hostile towards Him. Our, our hearts and minds are naturally hostile enemies of God. Not only that, he says, we're doing evil deeds. So, alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. This is the outflow. This is what we naturally do. An alienated and hostile mind produces evil deeds. That's all it knows to do. How does, how does this cause us to think of others? How should we be treating people who are characterized like this? We'll come back to that when we discuss application. But keep that in mind. How does this cause us to as we interact with others who, who are this? They, they have not experienced uh, verse 22. They are that. How does it cause us to think towards that? We'll come back to that. Because that was us. Naturally, that is us. Um, it brings me back to Romans chapter 1. Let me flip there real quick. It's in here somewhere. Romans chapter 1 says this. We, talk, we read uh, from verses 18 through 23 this morning. And how 
God's eternal, uh, God's divine nature is clearly seen in creation, but mankind suppresses that truth. Even though God has clearly revealed himself to mankind, we suppress that truth naturally. And we exchange uh, the worship of the creator for worship of the created, the creature. And so in verse 24, God says, go right ahead. Do what you want. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind, to what uh, ought not to be done. So he goes from, from God revealing himself, man suppressing that truth, to God saying, do what you want. And these are the evil deeds that are produced. Gave them up to what they wanted to do. So we think, I mean, is mankind kind of born neutral and we get kind of get to decide right and wrong from the beginning? No, no, no. Mankind is born anti-God. Uh, the scriptures present humans in their natural state as hostile to, towards God. Hostile. Totally depraved. Unable to even seek after God. Romans 3. There is none righteous. No, not one. No, no one understands. No one seeks for God. Romans 3, 9 to 10. Ephesians 2. Turn back just a couple of pages. Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, a little more than a couple of pages. Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to this. What Paul says here. A few parallels here. Ephesians chapter 2. For, and you... We're dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is, at, is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. That's, that's how we're naturally presented. When, when, when we're born, mankind naturally, in, its nat- in our natural state, we're hostile towards God. We need a rescue. That, that's what's wrong with the world. We saw how the world began in the hymn. Christ created all things and through him and in him and for him. And we also saw, we get to see now what went wrong. What went wrong? There's a fall. And mankind is naturally hostile toward God. So that's the once. Once we were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. But now, in verse 22, now he has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above, report, above reproach before him. These three verses, uh, just so you know, is one long sentence. So we're going to break it up into three parts. So the second part, verse 22, he has reconciled. Now, Christ overcomes these things. He overcomes this anti-God kind of mindset. He overcomes our deadness. He overcomes our hostility. He overcomes our alienation. He goes out and gets us. He overcomes our evil deeds and unrighteousness. We're reconciled. Reconciled to God in his body of flesh by his death. 
This is the main verb in this one long sentence, that verb right there. We, he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. In his body of flesh by his death. He suffered so that we may be reconciled. He suffered so that we may be reconciled to God. We, we may have union with God once again from that separation that was experienced in the fall, since the fall. So that we, in order that we may be presented holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So despite our sin, we will stand before him as holy. We are holy in status and should become holy in reality. So God, when he reconciles us, he declares us to be holy. Justification, he declares us to be righteous. But also, in the future, we will be presented before him as holy and blameless. So that is our status, holy. And we should become more holy in reality. We should be living, striving towards holiness. Are we doing that? Do, do, we, do we live our lives thinking, I just, I just want to be more and more holy. I want to be more and more like Christ. I want to be digging out sin, getting sin out of my life constantly. Um, do we take that, that um, progressive sanctification of our lives so seriously? We're looking for sin in our lives. We're, we're trying to become more and more holy, actively becoming holy. Um, Kevin DeYoung wrote a really uh, helpful book, this book called The Hole in Our Holiness. And uh, he, I love his illustration that he brings out in the beginning, talking about this desire to be more and more holy. And this is what he says. He likens this, um, this struggle to become holy. Some people perceive it like um, he perceives camping. Okay? I'll never understand the attraction of camping. This is not his words. This is not my words. These are his words. Okay? I will never understand the attraction of camping. Although I have plenty of friends and relatives who are avid campers, it always seems strange to me that someone would work hard all year so they can go live outside for a week. <laughs> I, get the, I get the togetherness stuff, but why do it in tents with community toilets? As an adventurer, I sort of understand camping. You strap a backpack back on your pack and go hike God's creation. Cool. But, but packing up the van like Noah's Ark and driving to a mosquito-infested campground where you rest, rec, uh, reconstitute an inconvenient version of your kitchen and your bedroom just doesn't make sense. Who decided that vacation, vacation should be like normal life, only harder? I love the way he says that. <laughs> But he likens that. He says, he says we, he, the way he sees camping is like, why are we working so hard going out? I mean, if, that, if you want to do that, fine. If you want to work hard and go camping and, you know, deprive yourselves of, of these special things that we have, uh, like running water. If you, wanna, if you want to deprive yourself, go ahead and do that. That's fine. If, if you're into that, go ahead and do that. And he says, sometimes we have that kind of attitude towards holiness. We, we see, we look at people like, oh, I mean... We're, we're all saved, so, I mean, but if you, if you feel like you really need to, you know, up your game a little bit, we're fine, you know, playing, riding the pine over here, riding the bench, but if you want to up your game a little bit and really go after it, fine, do that. And so he likens that 
I, he perceives camping like that. I, I, like, I'm the weird person he's making fun of, I think, sometimes. Um, but I'm like that with uh, uh, cooking. I mean, uh, if you're really into the science of how things go together, fine, do that. I'm, I'm good with the tombstone pizza uh, every night of the week for breakfast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I, I'm good with, you know, uh, I probably shouldn't admit um, some of the places that I like to frequent. Uh, they're, they're, they're quicker food places, if you want to say that. <laughs> food comes quick uh, while I'm driving. <laughs> All right. Uh, that, that's more like me. I mean, you know, I'm thankful that Abby is really, really good at cooking and uh, feeds me well, obviously. All right. Um, so, but do we take, do we take, so we can tend to think, if you're into cooking, fine. You get into cooking, you want to do take all that seriously, fine. That's, that's you. If you want to really work hard in doing that, I can go get, you know, a burger really fast and just be fine with that. If you're really into camping, go ahead and do that. But I mean, if you're really into holiness, if you really want to strive to really be way up here, okay, if that makes you feel better, go ahead and do that. What, what a terrible view of Becoming more like Christ. What a, a terrible view of um, life in general. Why would, <laughs> uh, if we don't want holiness now, what makes us think we're going to want holiness in the future? Um, do we work hard, strive hard after Holiness, because we want to become more like Christ. We want to honor God. We want to glorify God right now in the way that we're living. Do we strive hard? Do we work hard at becoming holy? Or we just see, do we just kind of sit back? Oh, I mean, if you're into that, go ahead and do that. But um, that's fine for you, but I'm not into it. Let's take it seriously. And part of that is taking our sin seriously. Do we see our sin clearly? Do we know how bad we actually really are? One thing that we, um, I may have mentioned this before, I don't remember, but one thing that we do in our youth group is every year we have a retreat we call DTS Retreat. Uh, DTS stands for Die to Self. And one of the first things we do is uh, we write out, we try to write out 80 ways that we're selfish. Okay? Maybe I can give you guys some homework tonight. (laughs) Really? 80 ways? That's what we all say. Like, really? 80 ways that I'm selfish? I mean, really? 80 ways? Well, trust me, once you get going... It's hard to stop. You start writing down, like, I'm selfish here. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm a pretty bad person. Okay. And it's a really quick way for me to realize that I need a Savior every single day. That Christ really has saved me from myself a significant way. Um, so I like, I like to help the teens think through, uh, help us think through how we're selfish. And how am I selfish in the room with the TV? How am I selfish in the room with the refrigerator and the food? How am I selfish in the room with my bed and my stuff? How am I selfish at uh, church? How am I selfish at work? How am I selfish at school? And thinking through places where I am selfish and starting to write down those things, and it just comes. And you realize, I am full of sin. I have a lot to work on. Let's start working on it. Do we see our sin clearly? Do, Do we see that this was us, alienated and hostile, Doing evil deeds. That's us. In our natural state, left to ourselves, we would choose anti-God kind of actions and thoughts every single time. That's us. And we need to start walking, chapter 1, verse 
10, we need to start walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's what we need to be doing, going hard after. We need that. Um, And the cool thing is, is that it's God's work in us. He supplies the strength for growth. I love how it follows after verse 10 of chapter 1, verse 11. May you be strengthened with all strength according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. It's God's work. He supplies the power. He supplies the strength for growth. While at the same time, we hold the responsibility to act. We need to pursue righteousness and work hard at doing what is right. We need to do that. And that's where the next verse comes in. If indeed you continue in the faith. It's a confident kind of if. If, and I'm confident in you, as he mentions a few times, once in chapter 1 and once later on, confident in their faith. these, These false teachers could creep in. And he's saying, if you continue. So, these false teachers could creep in. He's saying, be on guard. Be on your guard that you would continue in the faith. Press on. Stand firm. These warning passages throughout the scriptures, throughout the New Testament, we see these warning kind of passages a lot. These warning passages are to be taken seriously. Feel the full weight of that warning passage. We will be reconciled if we continue. In other words, continue. Work hard at continuing. You bear that responsibility. Are you being influenced by false teaching? Are you? Are, are, we, are we being deceived in some way? Are we shifting from the hope in the gospel is what it says here? Not shifting from the hope of the gospel? Continue in the faith. Keep on, keep on believing the gospel. The belief in the gospel is not just about a one-time event in the past. We believed it and we're good to go. We, we, we punched the ticket, we're going to heaven kind of thing. No, belief is a constant kind of belief. That we really believed what we said we believed at the beginning. The constant, continuing kind of belief. Believe in the gospel. Keep on believing in the gospel. Don't let doubt creep in. So he says that in a couple different ways. He says that um, in a positive light, and he says that in a negative light. Look at verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, positively. Negatively, not shifting, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Not shifting. So, um, laying a, the imagery is laying a strong foundation, like on a building. When we're building, laying a strong foundation so that there will not be any warbliness, right? Uh, we were uh, um, putting together a fence at my house. My neighbor Russell was helping me, and Nathan Diffley was helping me, and uh, we're putting this fence together. I've never put up a fence before, so here we are putting a fence up. And one of the things I really don't want is a warbly fence, you know, a fence that's going all over the place. You try to jump over it, and it falls apart. You know, it would really hurt. And so uh, we're, we're trying to put this thing together. We want a firm setting, a firm foundation. You get the picture? So a firm, firm foundation, a firm setting so it's not wobbling. That, that's the picture it's trying to paint if we're... If we're not continuing in the faith. Continue on believing in the faith. So, the focus is on the hope of the gospel. There is a hope. We may suffer now, but remember the hope 
that we have. And this is the gospel that you have heard, chapter 1, verse 5. It has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Compare that with chapter 1, verse 6. It's being preached all over the world right now. Know the gospel that you heard, which is being proclaimed in all creation under heaven, all over the place. It's being proclaimed, of which I, Paul, became a servant. The Greek term is the term that's sometimes transliterated to deacon. He is a servant of the gospel. He owes his allegiance to it. Doug Moose says he owes his allegiance to the gospel. Do we? Are we a servant to the gospel? Proclaiming it everywhere? So, back up with me real fast. Christ is ruling and reigning. Back to the hymn. Christ is ruling and reigning. He is in control of all things, holding all things together. Christ is also the head of the church. He is the guide, the source of life for the church. He's reconciling all things to himself. And we humans are naturally very anti-God, pushing God away. We don't want God. We're hostile in mind towards God. But he chooses to reconcile us. What? He chooses to reconcile us if we remain firm in the faith. So what's he saying? In the end of all things, in the end, all things will be reconciled to himself. When Christ returns to finally and fully establish his kingdom. But God invites human beings right now to take part in this reconciliation. And to become agents through whom God's work of reconciliation can begin to be carried out. He's inviting us. Everything will be reconciled, but he's inviting humans right now, all over the earth, to be reconciled now. And we can be. And we are. Just a couple of points of application. Number one. Know who you were. Know who you were. I heard, I've seen this lineup a couple of different times, and it's actually written on my window in my office. This sequence of phrases Know who you were, know who you are, be who you are. Know who you were. We see who we were, who we was. We see that. We were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's us. See our sin clearly. Right now, ask God to reveal sin in our lives so we can see it clearly and wage war against it. To know who we were and know who we are. We're reconciled by the body of flesh, by his death. So that we can be holy and blameless and above reproach. Be who you are. Pursue holiness with all your strength. Pursue it. Because that's pursuing God. That's pursuing Christ. Stand firm in your belief. Keep on believing. Don't assume that we'll be just fine. So pursue these things. Don't assume we'll be just fine. Um, stand firm in your belief. Be, be precise on your belief so that we don't compromise the gospel, the message of the gospel. We don't add on to anything but Christ. Know who you were. Know who you are. Be who you are. Um, so I don't know how many that was. Two or three. Here's the next one. Um, know who you're dealing with. 
Um, bad things are going to happen in this world. Bad things are going to happen to you in this world from other people. So don't be surprised by it. W- without the grace of God, we'd expect, we'd actually expect much worse than, say, terrorist attacks in France. Don't get me wrong. There are some really kind unbelievers out there. I have some really kind, unbelieving friends. Very kind, unbelieving friends that put me to shame in their kindness sometimes. A lot of times. There are some really kind unbelievers out there. And that is a significant grace of God. It's God's work. But don't be fooled by the kindness either. Unbelievers are actually worshiping a different God. Everybody's worshiping something. And if they're not worshiping our God, they're worshiping a separate God, which God is very jealous of. They're anti-God. Alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's God's view. Here's the thing. That was us. That is us. Naturally, that's us. So how do we respond to people? How do we, how do we interact with people that are this? When we, we see this, we, how do we interact with people? Are we, are we kind towards them? Are we patient with them? Are we ready to snap on them? Are we kind and patient? Are we ready to forgive? Um, don't, don't, get so, don't get so offended so easily. Red Starbucks cups. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Don't, don't get so offended so easily. We'd expect much worse. Hate sin, hate evil, but don't let it throw you off. Don't let it throw you off. Like the world is going to end if someone is mean to you or is anti-God. That's exactly what we expect. We expect evil to happen. We expect to be persecuted. That's what Christ promises. And exactly what Paul is experiencing. He's going to get into it in the next section, verse 24. So how do, you, how do we see people? Do we have compassion for unbelievers like Christ did? We see where their mind is and not in this pointing judgmental kind of way. You're like this. We see that and we're like, man, our heart is moved with compassion. Like Christ's heart was moved with compassion. Seeing sheep without a shepherd. We have that kind of heart for people. And directly related to that, are we servants of the gospel? Like Paul is. He became a servant of the gospel. Are we servants of the gospel? Are we serving the gospel? Are we spreading this gospel? Are we telling our neighbors of this gospel? Are we offering the hope of the gospel to unbelievers? Because we have compassion for them. We love our neighbors so much, we want to share the gospel with them. Or maybe we don't love them enough. Be servants of the gospel. I think a significant opportunity that um, we have is through uh, the Christmas program, Christmas concert that's coming up. What a sweet opportunity. I've already discussed options with my neighbors and talking through trying to get our neighbors, build relationships so that we can uh, give the gospel to them. We want want this to happen. We want people to understand and know the true message of the gospel. And this is what it might look like. Verse 24. This might look like suffering. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. 
And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Of which I became a minister. So, he's saying, we're going to face some suffering. We're going to face some suffering. And he says, I rejoice in this suffering. Let's pray. Dear God, as we read this text, follow up to the hymn that we studied this morning. We are so grateful that this high and great Christ would die a bloody death on a cross to reconcile me. Lord, help us to see our sin clearly. Help us to see who we are naturally so clearly. And may that cause us, may that cause us to be more loving and patient with people standing ready to forgive when wronged not surprised or thrown off when things don't go right but Lord may we fight sin may we take holiness seriously go hard after what is right what is holy And just keep on believing, keep on faithing, keep on trusting in our great God. Lord, we want to be servants of this gospel. We want to be proclaiming this message to our, from our neighborhoods into the nation. So may we do that. May we strategize on how to reach our neighbors with this gospel. May we be servants of this gospel, spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether it's in our homes with our families, especially during this um, holiday season, Thanksgiving and Christmas, we're around families. May we take those opportunity, opportunities to speak truth into our loved ones. And may we reach our neighbors, and we reach our co-workers, and we reach our um, fellow classmates with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to have compassion on people like you had compassion, seeing sheep without a shepherd. And may we show them, point them to the good shepherd, our great God. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, change my heart.